Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Live, ready to go. Big weekend of soccer to talk about around the world. We had plenty of plenty of goals in MLS, lots of excitement. Guys who score goals did so. The goal scorers scored goals. They're paid to do that. That's what they did. Uh, good stuff there. I should start by, before we get into the headlines, and by the way, Kristen Hines will join us in a couple minutes to talk about England, the fight for fourth place, the fight to avoid relegation. QPR, bye QPR. Say bye to QPR. And it doesn't end there for QPR. Now as they uh, drop down into the championship, they've got to face a fine over financial fair play, and we'll talk to Christian about that. But before I get to the headlines, I want to recognize everybody who came out to the Football Factory, legend slash the Football Factory, on Friday night in New York City. We had a good time. Alexi Lawless came by. Very nice of Alexi to stop by. Brian Sharetta of American Soccer Now and uh, New York Times and various other outlets. He came by. Good chat with him. Uh, we had a bunch of people stop by. Took a bunch of pictures. Had a bunch of good conversations. Good stuff. Milena Barajas came by. Thank you, Milena. It was nice. Uh, if I don't if I don't say your name, it's just hey, sorry, I can't get to everybody. There were a lot of people there who came by. Yeah, Washington from New York obviously was there. Rafa Naboa Rivera was there as well. Good talking. Uh, good talking to those guys. Uh, Trevor Hayward had an excellent time. Let me just say. <laughs> Uh, the danger with these things, and all of you very nice people who decided to purchase alcoholic beverages for Trevor and I, the danger with that is that you can quickly lose track of how many alcoholic beverages you've you've imbibed. Now, I maintained I was, you know, I was pretty steady the entire night. Producer Trevor had a little bit more fun than I did. <laughs> I'm not going to go into details. He's going he's gonna to cut me off the air if I say too much. Well, let's just... Let's just say that a good time was had by all. It was a nice way to uh, to mark the first week of the Sirius XM show. If you're not listening to that, you know, consider buying a subscription and jumping on board. We're growing the audience over there. It's fantastic. So all the regulars, Washington and all those guys, uh, plus some new people jumping on board. I think it's going pretty well. They seem happy. I'm pretty happy. We have another excellent show lined up today over at SiriusXMFC. Just to give you a taste, Kyle McCarthy is going to come on to do our MLS review. We're going to talk to Dave Martinez from Empire of Soccer about the Hudson River Derby. And then Adam Jardy of the Columbus Dispatch will join us in the last hour uh, to talk about uh, Columbus and their big win over the Seattle Sounders, which is definitely a top MLS headline right alongside that New York game. And Toronto losing at home and various other things happening in MLS. Let's do these headlines. We'll dive into the entire world here. Pep Guardiola has denied that he's moving to Manchester City for 25 million pounds, dollars. I mean, that's a, there's a big difference there. I think it's pounds, right? But it's interesting that this number one took on a life of its own, this rumor. And now Pep has got to come out ahead of a second leg the Champions League against Barcelona. Now they're down 3 nothing. It's going to be tough. But ahead of that, he's had to come out and deny the rumor that he would be leaving. 
that he'll be staying in Bayern Munich. Of course, anybody in the world would want Pep Guardiola to step in and Manchester City, as they just scramble about trying to find a guy who can finally get them over the hump in the Champions League, why wouldn't they look at Pep if he's available? But probably not. Reports this morning say that Schalke has released Kevin Prince Boateng and Sidney Sam uh, immediately after a loss to Cologne this weekend. Now, I've seen this refuted by Daniel Bush on Twitter, at least the part with Kevin Prince Boateng, that he may be suspended, but that his contract has not been canceled. And part of the reason this is interesting is because KPB has been mentioned as a possible target for the New York Red Bulls. I believe Sidney Sam has had some some, uh, rumors surrounding him and MLS as well. So continue to watch for the developing uh, developments in this story and whether or not Prince, uh, Kevin Prince Boateng is actually available. Uh, the wisdom of him signing with any MLS team or any MLS team signing him is up in the air. But he is a, he's certainly a talented player. The U.S. Women's National Team in their preparations for the World Cup this summer beat Ireland 3-0 yesterday. Uh, lots of reports that they weren't as sharp as they need to be and that there's plenty of work to do ahead of the World Cup. But a win is a win, and a good way to start uh, start their camp as they get ready to go up to Canada and challenge for a World Cup in less than a month's time. Liverpool likely to miss the Champions League after a 1-1 draw with Chelsea. Steven Gerrard's final game, well, one of his final games, as he comes down the wire there as a, as a Liverpool player. Interesting comments after the match by Steven Gerrard, given a bit of a standing ovation from the Chelsea fans. Recognition of his long service in the Premier League for Liverpool. And instead of saying, hey, yeah, that was nice, he sort of took shots at the Chelsea fans. I'm not going to give any love to the Chelsea fans. I'm a Liverpool guy. I'd love to have a Steven Gerrard impression. It's not happening this morning. Uh, But anyway, Liverpool likely to miss out on the Champions League. Whether or not this has any ramifications for them this summer and Brendan Rodgers and his job remains to be seen. They certainly need to go into the transfer market and spend if they're going to challenge for one of those Champions League spots in 2015-2016. Real Madrid's La Liga challenge may be done after a 2-2 draw with Valencia. Now puts them four points back of Barcelona. That's the headline. It's done. They're out of the cha- they're out of the La Liga race. And now it's uh it's all about that one competition for Real, Ma- Real Madrid. The Liga MX playoff matchups are now set. Tigres versus Santos Laguna. Club America against Pachuca, Veracruz and Cretaro, Atlas, and Chivas de Guadalajara. So there you go. Uh, from relegation candidate to playoffs for Chivas, Chepo de la Torre doing good work down there after some uh, after a bumpy start. Now, the longer Chivas' season goes on, the longer Kubo Torres is locked up to play for them before moving over to Houston this summer. Houston doesn't seem to need them at, well in this last game. They did they did struggle for a while there. They go into Toronto and they beat uh, TFC two one in the first home game for TFC at the newly expanded BMO Field. Other MLS results from the weekend, as I mentioned, Columbus taking out Seattle in a, just a fun game to watch. Orlando and New England on Friday night. We watched that game at the bar in New York City. A uh, late equalizer from Aurelian Cullen gets uh, gets Orlando a point. Charlie Davies scores for his fourth goal in four games. Charlie Davies getting some love as a potential return for his potential return to the U.S. men's national team. I may put that question to you guys later on in the show. Do you think Charlie Davies is a player the U.S. could use right now, and should Jurgen Klinsmann be taking a look at him? 
Colorado and San Jose, 1-1 draw. Portland goes to Montreal and gets a 2-1 win. Diego Valeri, woo, very nice. Diego Valeri on his return. Maybe not the sharpest in midfield, but you give him an opportunity out on the uh, out on the wing like that. You get the ball wide to him. He can cut in and curl one to the back post. Beautiful goal for him. D.C. and Sporting Kansas City, 1-1. Vancouver destroys Philadelphia. Feel bad for Brian Silvestri. The on-loan goalkeeper asked to step in for the Union. And there was uh, just a barrage from the Whitecaps, 3-0 in that victory. Dallas beat L.A. 2-1. Moro Diaz looking very nice. And New York City FC losing to the Red Bulls 2-1 at Red Bull Arena. Uh, Great game there. Great atmosphere. We're talking about that as well. When we come back, however, we will talk England with our friend Christian Hinege. Fourth place, Champions League, relegation, maybe some championship playoffs. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hi, I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite you to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for FC Dallas against New York Red Bulls. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about the strengths and weaknesses of Dallas and the Red Bulls, as well as pose questions to me via the live conversations thread. You have an iPhone? Great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me. Or you can go directly to the website at rabble.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners. Mark your calendars this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern, and let's hang out together at rabble.tv to talk Red Bulls, the hoops, and MLS. Looking forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, joined now via a crackly transatlantic phone line by Christian Hanesh. Find him on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Yes? Correct, no. man. Correct. All right. Hey, I had to really pull deep for that. Uh, Christian, how, how are you, sir? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? I, I'm well. Uh, so we had a, uh, we had a, uh, the we're coming down to the wire here in the in the playoff. Uh, sorry, in the Premier League, Christian, and the the talking points, the the, the places that we're going to identify um, drama, intrigue, apps, uh, places worth talking about are certainly uh, the race for fourth place and that last Champions League spot, and then down at the bottom of the table and the, and the relegation battle. Let me start with fourth place. Right now, Manchester United sits in that spot, six points ahead of Liverpool. Liverpool, by virtue of their draw with Chelsea, has effectively eliminated themselves, even if it's mathematically possible. We're we're looking at our four teams, are we not? I think we are. Um, The fact that, if you look at the fact Manchester United to have some decent fixtures towards the end of the season, I think they finished the season away at Hull. Um, They're not going to drop the points required, I think, for for Liverpool to make that gap up, which is a a shame for Liverpool because it seems on a superficial level that the season's been an absolute catastrophe. But I think, as as Gerard pointed out in his interview yesterday, actually there's a good core of players there and it just requires some supplementation in the summer. The problem they've got, and I think it kind of reared its head with the Memphis Depay situation, is that are they going to be able to attract the players that will take them to that next level? Because if we saw last summer as well, 
They missed out on Alexis Sanchez, reportedly for similar reasons to that of Depay and the fact that just bigger suitors came in and, and could offer them more. It is interesting to consider that you're sort of you're in a catch-22 position if you're a club like Liverpool, not quite on the level of Manchester United, at least not over the last decade or so when it comes to Champions League, or well, when it comes to winning titles. I mean, Champions League football is a different su- uh, subject for Liverpool, but it's been a while. Um, and, and so trying to go out and getting the, get those big-name signings, if there is a slightly bigger uh, a bigger club coming in for them, they, they are going to turn away. And if Liverpool can't get back into the Champions League with, this, the, with, with the squad they already have, then how are they ever going to get back to that level to attract those players to go and win titles in Champions League? Exactly. It's a vicious cycle, and I think one that could almost see Liverpool become a yo-yo club of sorts, one that has this bad season like the one they've had now, and then they're able to propel themselves into fourth with less commitments in Europe and even some perhaps domestically if they have uh, bad seasons in the League Cup and, and FA Cup, and then propel themselves into Champions League again, and then we hit the same speed bump that we've seen this season, whereby they don't have the squad or the calibre of players to get them through that competition and then simultaneously requalify for it. It's a very difficult one. I think you've seen it played out in the Europa League as well, the fact that it's very rare that a team qualifies for the Europa League year on year because it is incredibly difficult to manage essentially a fourth competition in there that requires a lot of travel across a, a very vast continent that sees you leave midweek, get back for the weekend, you've got a game again on the weekend, so your players are tired, they're arguably jet-lagged a little bit as well from the, from the constant travel. It is a very difficult one to manage, and I think that's why we only really see those at the very top with those deepest of squads do it. I, I'm, I'm, worry, I'm wondering what the knock-on effect of this season for Liverpool will be. I mean, as you said, it looks like a disaster of season, but that's only in the context of last year and certainly the project that Fenway Sports Group has put into this team. They, they don't seem willing to spend on the level of Chelsea and Manchester City and Manchester United, and they've got a manager who no one seems com- completely enthused about anymore, Christian. So what happens this summer with Liverpool? I think some of that is the hot take culture, though, in fairness. And I think what happens this summer is they go and try and prove the likes of, of you and I wrong and go out and sign those players. I think what they've tried to do is they've tried to buy developmental talents. You look at perhaps Lazar Markovic, for example, someone who I think was perceived as having this huge ceiling. So you buy him for $20 million. And I guess in a way, a bit like Suarez, you buy him from one of the, the lower tier leagues in Europe and then you build him up to be this superstar now. In the case of Markovic, it hasn't come to fruition yet. I think it still could because he is very young. But that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to go out and be, I I guess perhaps even Tottenham is another good example, go out and try and buy players like Gareth Bale that you see a greater potential in, that you can extract that potential from and build your side around that. Because I think trying to buy those already established names, the likes of Alexis Sanchez and and even to, I guess, a lesser degree, Memphis Depay, is is going to be difficult. I mean, Depay, you could very easily say, fits into the same bracket as Markovic and Bale, at which point you start to worry if you're a Liverpool fan because now the big clubs are even going after those second-tier talents that you're looking at. So you have to be even quicker and move even faster, I think. And I think that will be shown in the summer is how much planning have Liverpool done in terms of who they want to buy this summer because in theory, if it's a lot, then their, their business will be done very quickly. When the season opens up next year, you expect Brendan Rodgers to be on the sideline for Liverpool? I think, yeah. I think, look, it, it, it's very easy to, to lament someone having a tough season, but 
you look at it in terms of if you're going to cite this season as a reason he should be fired, you should cite the season before for a reason why he should be kept on board because he did a lot of great things with that, that squad that he had. And I think anyone who loses someone that provides the impact of Luis Suarez is going to suffer anyway. I, I defy any manager not to, to feel that burden and then also have to try and replace him. Know that realistically you can't, so you try and buy a lot of little pieces that stack up to that same size. It was a, an unenviable task and one I think that uh, no manager would, would realistically have taken on in the summer if you'd offered it to them. So at this point, um, you know, Liverpool's obviously trying to get over a hump. Manchester United has, after a dip and after the David Moyes period, has seemed to have climbed back up, maybe not where they want to be, which is challenging for the Premier League title, but certainly this is a better season than last year. And, and Louis van Gaal is, is vindica- vindicated on some level? I think he, yeah, I think he is vindicated on on some levels in in terms of he's achieved what he was expected to achieve as a bare minimum. I think you look at the signings of Falcao and and things like that, and, and Falcao in particular, you're you're delighted if you're a Manchester United fan that that's only a loan because again he's just not a good fit for this team and and this league more importantly. And for that price, there, there's no reason to keep him around. I think again it, it's almost a bit like Chelsea at the end of last season. Mourinho gave them this big, oh, we're, we're just a baby horse. You know, we need to be fed milk and grow. And credit to Chelsea, they've done that this season. I think Man United, well, Van Gaal perhaps hasn't said it, are in a similar position. They now need to push on next season. They've had that kind of awkward transition period whereby it's not the Moyes era now, it's the Van Gaal era. We have these big names again. We feel we can challenge. So next season, he really does have to kick on and show that, you know, if, the, the blips of, of this first season, the defeats at home to Swansea and things like that, they were just kind of, you know, uh, growing points in the development process. I, I look down the table, and they're in seventh place, a point back at Tottenham, so things could change a little bit in terms of, uh, in terms of the actual number next to their name is Southampton. And they were, they were so good for so long to start the season, Christian. I, I'm a little disappointed that the Saints aren't, up, you know, in, in, in cha- still challenging for a Champions League spot. Are we ever going to see a day when a team like Southampton, who did so much right and was so smart about their sales and their purchases, do, are we ever going to see a, a sort of a mid-level, financially strong team have a chance at this? Uh, I think yes. I think the the thing you're looking for, if, if I mean Everton did it many many years ago now, um, and then crashed out of the competition spectacularly, but. It has to, everything has to align for that to happen in terms of you can't have injuries, you can't really have suspensions, you can't have that dip either. And I think Southampton just had that dip after New Year, the fact Pele went on that amazing run pre-Christmas and then after Christmas, I think he only had about one or two goals from, from January up until about April. That's going to hurt a team, of course it is, because he's their target man, he's their star man. And I think if if you look at it from... Going back to the summer, we expected this Southampton team to be uh, an absolute car crash in terms of they'd lost a number of players. You know, they were having to bust guys in, it seemed. And how would they all fit and mesh together, especially with, you know, the new manager on, on top of that as well? And yet they've actually come out and we're now saying at the end of the season, oh, it's a disappointment that this team right. hasn't challenged for Europe. I think, oh, it's challenged for the Champions League, rather. And I think to me, that's the, you know, a huge compliment to them because they've far exceeded the expectations of, of last year and now 
in theory, they can go again with another renewed pot of te television money. Yeah. They can supplement the squad where there was weaknesses in there. Maybe get someone alongside Pella who can give them those goals as well. And and you never know. We could be sitting here in in twelve months' time saying, "Isn't it great to see Southampton on the verge of the Champions League?" Well, the the other thing, the other issue for a club like Southampton is that even when you have a good season or or a season where you've overachieved according to everyone's expectations, you're you're bound to have some sort of change and. Are we are we going to see them? You know, are we going to see people picking off their players again? Are we going to see Koyman get an opportunity somewhere else and move on? Is there is there change in the offing for Southampton, and how would that impact whether or not they can build on this year? I, I don't think there'll be significant change. I just the way I look at, it, I think they've, they've only been there a year, and it would be surprise for for a team to come in and spend that partly because they haven't actually proven themselves consistently. So you're you're essentially risking buying a one-season wonder, which across the Premier League, we've seen multiple examples of, of that happen. And equally, I think if Southampton are true to what you know they, they've stated they are, they're not going to want to cash in on these players. The, the offers they received for the likes of Lallana and Lambert came at a point where the players had been there for a number of years. I think they'd exhausted their time and their desire to be there. And equally, they were huge sums of money. The, the fee for Adam Lallana was a, a massive amount of money, as was the one for Luke Shaw. And they're essentially squad-building sizes of, of money. And I'm not sure if the likes of Graziano Pella, de Santaric, are going to generate that same figure, partly because they haven't got that English premium placed on them. Mm -hmm. That was the big selling point, I thought, of, of Lallana and Shaw, was the fact that they are, in theory, future England internationals. So again, their price will raise a good 25 maybe even 35% on what it should. The bottom end of the table, QPR officially relegated with their loss to uh, to Manchester City six nil, just absolutely demolished Christian, and they go out with a whimper. And I'm and I go back and and recall how Harry Redknapp ran away with his tail between his legs, knowing that this team was likely going to go down. And now they face uh, potential fines over financial fair play violations. It's it's a disaster at QPR. I wouldn't say Harry Redknapp ran away because he's got bad knees, remember? Um, <laughs> waddled. He I, waddled away. <laughs> I, I think it, it's a very troubling time for, for QPR at the minute. This, this FFP fine is really hanging over their head. And if they'd been a bit smarter with their accounts, from what I understand, they could have really chopped the fine down quite a significant part. But the problem they've got now is, is that actually, even if you just look at that squad, You've got a lot of older players, I think some are out of contract, I think Joey Barton is, is perhaps one of them, but there are also a lot of players on there that have significant wages, and I would imagine aren't really that appealing to a number of suitors already in the Premier League who could match those wages. So you find yourself in this difficult position of, do you stand firm and try and sell them to clubs for the wages they will be offered, or do you pay the part of the wage that they're losing just to get them off the books? And I think... In that sense, it's going to be very difficult for QPR because I think last time Tony Fernandez was willing to back Harry Redknapp financially and say, OK, I'll give you the money, but you have to get us up. This time, it's a lot different scope. As I say, the, the FFP fine really does hang over the club at the minute. And because of that, I can't see Fernandez funding another high-spending promotion push. I think they're going to have to do it a more traditional way with le lower spending and you know, they say in instances like these relegations, it can often be the best thing for a club because it lets you strip away all of the deadwood and the rot and rebuild. And perhaps that's what QPR need to do. Perhaps they need to go down to the championship, maybe even as crazy as it sounds, League One, mm. and start from the beginning and look at 
their academy and what that's producing. Because again, this is the academy that that had Raheem Sterling once upon a time. Yeah. So it's not a terrible academy. Start to produce those players. Start to build those those younger guys up, and then also look to bring in young players that have got the best years ahead of them. I think that's been the problem for QPR for a number of years now, and this is why they're in this position financially is that they've handed ridiculous contracts to to players well past their prime who simply don't offer even close to what their their wages are suggesting they should and it's it is a, a very bizarre situation and one i'm surprised that someone is astute in business as tony fernandez allowed to occur well I, I think i think it's an intoxicating possibility you've got a london club with some history and a potential to be you know something much bigger than they've been and and it will take somebody with a very long ranging viewpoint to actually think okay we need to strip away they've been there before and and failed to do it or at least failed to do it in a way that that allowed them to be consistent and uh and stable once they got up speaking of the financial fair play situation they are challenging that uh this is a statement quickly from the club legal proceedings are ongoing between QPR and the football league QPR challenges the legality of the football league's championship financial fair play rules and any charge against QPR, if any, for breach of financial fair play rules shall not be commenced pending the outcome of that challenge. The proceedings are confidential in nature, and neither party is entitled to comment upon the proceedings until the independent arbitral panel has delivered its decision. So they're, so they're going to challenge it. I mean, which they have to. That's due diligence on their part. But they have, they have painted themselves into this corner. Uh, you know, I, 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 have a, I don't know why I have a soft spot for QPR, but I do. I think it's from FIFA as a kid. Uh, so I, I don't want to see them fall flat on their face and yet it seems that they will uh the, the other the damning statistics on that one yeah. by the way their wages to turnover ratio in 2012 2013 were 129 <laughs> percent by 13 14 that was 195 percent that's uh yeah it's it's a disastrous way to, to to run a club if you're if you're going to end up where they are which is relegated now uh meanwhile burnley and hull currently op- occupy the other two relegation places and yet, things are not done. Two matches to play for everybody. Burnley, Hull, Newcastle, Sunderland in the mix. Obviously, Leicester down there as well. How do you see these things playing out? Well, this is the, the difficulty, I think, in predicting this. is you're, you're questioning which Tottenham side is going to show up for Hull. Because at the minute, Tottenham seem a very uh, inconsistent side. Because they think they know the end of the season is, is fast approaching them. And so what's the point in doing anything that significant now? And so whereas perhaps six months ago, Hull visiting White Hart Lane looks a certain home victory, you're thinking, actually, Hull have been quite unlucky at points this, this season. I think at the weekend they were incredibly unlucky. Sunderland, I think, will be saved by the fact that they need Hull and Newcastle both to win, and I can't see that happening. Um, and equally, they themselves have a very winnable fixture in Leicester at home, who, while are in very good form, I think are quite defensively porous as well. And so it is incredibly difficult to predict, and I appreciate I get paid to do that. So with that said, I just think it might have come too much for Hull. I think that game at the weekend may have just sapped their spirits enough because, again, it was such a disappointing uh, defeat, especially considering the opponent and the fact that it was at home and the fact they did have so much gusto. And, and perhaps, I think, mentally, perhaps the players and the fans had ignored the Arsenal game and thought, right, we'll get nothing from that. But this Burnley game, we can get three points, we can push ourselves up, and then the pressure is on Newcastle and, and Sunderland to then try and get that win. It's, it is, uh, it's a bit like Russian roulette in that sense. It's, you know, it, it, the pressure is all on the person with the gun in their hand. Uh, you know, uh, Villa's in 14th right now. They are um, 
four points ahead of Hull City in 18th. And and I, I don't want to really spend a lot of time on Villa because I don't think they're going down. But I, I do like I do like the the sort of parallel nature of what has happened at Villa under Tim Sherwood and what's going on at, at Newcastle under John Carver. And it, for for everything for everything that that Sherwood has gotten bef- uh, in, in the press, and we've talked about this, Christian, he's he's enthusiastic. He's pushed them to to you know to go for it, to to win the games they needed to win, to get the points they needed to get. Meanwhile, Carver's getting ridiculed ridiculed for calling himself the best manager in the league. Um, just paint a picture for me of of Carver's time at Newcastle so far, and and ultimately, you know, is he the type of manager who can who can save this club? I think stumbling from disaster to disaster is the best way I can really paint his time at the club. He's, I wrote about this last week, and I think he's just got one man management setting, and that's shouting. Um, whether it's at officials at the weekend for not giving a throw in, whether it's you know lambasting uh, Mike Williamson in public, there's just not that flexibility there. And I think that's what Sherwood has, is that he understands that, as we often see with managers, you need at least two settings. You need the arm around, you need to kick up the backside. And unfortunately, I don't think Carver has that, which is a surprise given he worked under the late Sir Bobby Robson, someone who, I think you talk to any player, just understood that facet of the game so expertly. He knew when to kind of do these things. There's a great story with him and Craig Bellamy, where Bellamy and Carver, funnily enough, had a fight ahead of a UEFA Cup game for Newcastle. And Bellamy threw a chair at Carver and said, look, I'm not going to the game, not a chance. And so, so Bobby Robson finds out, he comes in, he puts his arm around Bellamy, and he said they just started walking and talking, and he was asking about his family, and, you know, is he playing much golf at the minute, how are the kids, all that kind of stuff. And Bellamy said, before I knew it, I was on the plane, and we were going to the game. <laughs> he said, that's, that's Sir Bobby Robson, is that he yeah. could just diffuse any situation. And unfortunately, I think in Carver, you're seeing the fact that he was an assistant means he doesn't think like that. You know, I think, I think that there's, I, I don't want to be general, I don't want to generalize too much here, Christian, but I think there's a, an element of the modern game where if you're going to be the, the big blustery manager, the, the one who, who has that one setting, you either, you either better have the capability to do what Robson did on some level, on, on the, the necessary occasions, or you better have so much respect from your previous accomplishments that you can, you can navigate a world where the players need to be coddled a little bit. I mean, I think of Alex Ferguson. No one thinks of him as a puppy dog, and yet he consistently won because his players respected him so much. Exactly, and I think that's the problem. Is If you look at Carver's career, just from a managerial perspective, Toronto, I think they finished bottom of Major League Soccer when he was there, didn't play very good football. Now, you can you know, debate the, the legitimacy of, of Toronto as a football club for all you want, but doesn't change the fact that he struggled there. Plymouth, where I believe he was caretaker, again, relegated. Sheffield United, relegated. The, the resume just doesn't read positively. And I think, again, even as a player, he didn't achieve a great deal. And no one really knows of, of his playing career. And I think that, again, is a, another issue, is that you have to be respected for your achievements, as you rightly say. And whether I think he can keep them up, if I'm honest, it is completely 50-50, because I think... There were certainly positive signs at the weekend. The players showed a fight and determination against a very organized and defensively stable West Bromwich Albion side. And I think they tested them in parts. There was maybe just that, that little X factor missing in the attack to really push them forward. But I think if, if you apply that same level of, uh, of commitment and, and performance to games against the likes of QPR next week and then West Ham at home, 
on the final day of the season. You've got to believe there's points in there for them at least, just because of the difficult position QPR are in now, yeah. where I don't really think many of their players are thinking about what's going on at the no. pitch. And then West Ham essentially being on, on beach mode themselves anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the championship playoffs. We've got Watford and Bournemouth coming up to the Premier League. It's a guarantee. Meanwhile, Brentford, Middlesbrough... And Ipswich and Norwich facing off for a chance to uh, play in the playoff final and, and get up to the Premier League. Um, Brentford losing to Middlesbrough 2-1 uh, and Ipswich Town and, and Norwich 1-1. So these are very tight. Uh, expect the second leg to deliver the same sort of results. It's going to come down to the wire? Yes, exactly. I think, I, I think Middlesbrough will see out their result now. I think uh, watching the game on Friday... Brentford just lacked that clinical finisher. It was really telling the fact that Andre Gray missed a chance in an identical position to where Yelly Vossen put Borough ahead. For me, that was the difference between the two sides, is that Borough just have that little bit of pedigree up front, and it really did show. I mean, it was funny in the, in the sense that a defender was the one who scored the winner in the, the 95th minute, but I think, equally, they've just got that quality, and that's something I think Karanka's really brought to them this season, is this big-game mentality. We, it's funny enough, we go from talking about Carver's achievements you look at Karankas, there's the, the polar opposite of that. Someone who has been at the biggest places, won the biggest things, worked with the best consistently, and I think is now transplanting that mentality onto Middlesbrough. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's working brilliantly for them. I, I think there's a strong chance we'll see them in the Premier League next season. And Ipswich and, and Norwich on Saturday, uh, 1-1. I mean, that's, uh, it, it's right there for, for either side. Oh, yeah, an amazing derby, one that uh, is a passionate affair, I can, can tell you. And I think, again, it, it falls to just that quality. You have to give huge credit to Mick McCarthy in this one for the fact that he's assembled that squad on such a small budget. The fact that you know Tyrone Mings was plucked from, from non-league football and is now being linked to Arsenal and all these big Premier League clubs. And I think that might just be their downfall, though, is the fact that, again, it's such a, a good squad that's been built for such a cheap uh, transfer kit. It's had to really overperform its expectations. Whereas I think if you look at Norwich, a bit like QPR, they've spent and brought in the big guns because they intend to go straight back to that Premier League. And I think this is the moment where you see those big guns really come to the fore and, and fire Norwich into the playoff final. Anything to, I mean, obviously Norwich has been there more recently, obviously uh, Middlesbrough and their pedigree. Anything to the, to the notion that the clubs that have been there before, maybe not with those players, but they've been there before, does that give them any sort of advantage in the second legs? I tend to believe not. I think it falls on the players as individuals rather than the clubs. I think uh, in that sense, Mick McCarthy has an edge because Alex Neal has never played in a championship playoff before whereas Mick McCarthy has kind of been around this isn't his first rodeo right. uh, so to speak and like I said I think it falls on the players now you've got some good championship and promotion experience in that Norwich squad as well um, and I think if you're looking to give maybe that extra mental edge you, you are looking to give it to the likes of uh, Norwich and Middlesbrough just because again some of those players have been involved in this some of them have done this before and, and succeeded at it Christian I gotta, I gotta let you go but uh, one, one very quick question just some idle speculation for the fun of it Bob Bradley is, is tearing up Norway right now with Steinbeck on a, on a, on a low budget a, a team that, that nobody thought would be where they are is there any uh, would, if, is there any club in England that could use Bob Bradley and if so where would you like to see him? I don't think it's going to happen but where would you like to see him I'm going to be very biased. I would love to see him come to the northeast um, because I've seen the way he interacts with those Starbeck fans and the way he talks. He just gets it. He gets the 
the mood and the vibe of the place. And I think there's a very similar vibe in cities like Newcastle and Sunderland. And I think he would absolutely uh, kill it in those respective clubs and, and do a fantastic job, just like he's doing with Starbeck, who, again, have been absolutely fantastic this season. One at the weekend, despite being down to 10 men for a good portion of the game. Yeah, he's doing great things there. Christian Nash, follow him on Twitter. It's K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Writes for many places, 442 and uh, Guardian and other places. Christian, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mitch. Right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you about New York, the New York Der- Derby. Talk about uh, Seattle, Columbus, Bob Bradley. Dwayne DiRosario retired. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for FC Dallas against New York Red Bulls. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about the strengths and weaknesses of Dallas and the Red Bulls, as well as post questions to me via the live conversations thread. If you have an iPhone, great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me. Or you can go to directly to, what, to the website at rabble.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners. Mark your calendars for this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And let's hang out together at rabble.tv to talk Red Bulls, the Hoops, and MLS. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning on a Monday. Phone lines open. 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. Perhaps you have opinions on what happened in Jersey last night. Red Bulls taking down NYCFC. Two to one. A couple of interesting things out of that game. The TIFO stuff from the Red Bull fans. Fantastic. Good job. Thank you. Good job. Congratulations. Well done. Not that I have any particular horse in the race. I just think those were well done. The big apple is red to the core. Now, you don't really want an apple that's red to the core, but I understand what you're trying to do there. And the dopey TIFO. 20 years late in the stadium short. Very nice. And nothing, all in good fun, right? All in good fun. The atmosphere at Red Bull Arena was fantastic. At least that's the way it seemed on television. People that were there can tell me how good was the atmosphere at Red Bull Arena. Was it was it full? I mean, you know, we we get into this uh, this detail stuff, this you know minutia of whether or not it was a an actual sellout. I've never heard Red Bull Arena that good. I don't know that we should be picking apart whether or not there were a full number of people in the building, whether it was a quote-unquote MLS sellout or not. Who cares? It's a great atmosphere. And I said this I said this last night when I'm watching that game on Twitter. I said, I don't care if that's the miking of the supporters section. I don't care if it's the mix that, it, that Fox was using. I, I don't care if it was just the, the natural ambiance of the stadium. The fact that it presented that well on television, that's all that matters. 
that's all that matters. Sounded great. Jose on Twitter, after what happened yesterday with uh, with Via, do you think he's going to leave faster than we can say Jermaine Defoe? <laughs> See what you did there. No, I don't think so. I, I tend to think David Villa has the right attitude. No player wants to come off. No striker wants to come off in a game his team is losing. I don't know that we're going to, we, we should come down on David Villa for giving a scowl in the direction of Jason Christ when he was removed for that game. And I, I saw a quote from him that said, effectively, we'll get to this on the Sirius XM show. But his quote was, he's the manager, I play for him. Of course he wasn't happy. Of course he wasn't excited to come off. Of course he was disappointed. Let's go to Washington and New York. Washington, it was good to see you Friday. Hey, how's it going, Jason? It was good to see you too. I'm a little hoarse right now. I think you know why. <laughs> That's good. That means that means you left it all out there, Washington. Even though even well, though your team went down and they looked come on, they looked bad. They did not look well, like they could compete. I was I wanted to talk to you about that. First of all, let me let me just uh say I love the atmosphere. Um and and, and you know that I went, we talked about this on Friday, it was Mother's Day, so I couldn't actually go to the stadium. But I watched it on television and it looked great on television and, and big kudos to both sides for that because it was it was a great atmosphere. Um yeah, it, it it you know, that that's the way it goes, that's football. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Right now we're on the losing streak. Oh well. I'm still blue. I'm still in YCFC. We'll be forever, right? Sure. Um, I wanted to ask you something, though, because I, I think you were just commenting on it now about Mix King taking off. Is, is that who you were talking about? Uh, now? Well, I mentioned Via, but certainly Mix as well. I mean, you bring okay. off. You, All right. So, you know. so Via, I understood. Okay. So taking Via off, um, I get that because, okay, Via, you were playing hurt for a while. They, you know, I, I, they want to protect their DP. I, I, I kind of get that. All right. I, I get it. I wasn't happy about it, but I get it. But when he took Mix off, that really pissed me off, right? That really pissed me off because that's kind of an insult to Mix. Because we yeah, get you hurt, whatever, but Mix is more. That message is you're not doing your job. Get the f off, you know. But I have to admit, as as, as upset as I was at Christ for making that move, Poku comes in yep. and the rhythm and the rhythm changes. I have to admit that. Yeah, I can't deny that. I think Poku I, comes I, in and the rhythm changes. I think that both. I think the substitutions absolutely impacted the game. I don't know if it's an energy thing. I don't know if it's a balance thing, but you obviously got a great goal from uh, from Patrick Mullins that put your team back into the game without. And you don't know that those that that goal's coming without those changes. I mean, it's a smart run from Mullins. I think Via might make that run, but does he have the half step he needs to poke it home? I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And one other thing, though, in my opinion, and I know this doesn't count. I know people are going to debate this to the end. That was a 2-2 game. He was not offsides. Wingo was offsides. The law of the game says when the leather of the cleat meets the leather of the ball, that's when you determine who's offsides. Yes, he was offsides at one point, but by the time he did, by the time the ball was actually kicked, he was on by its step. That was a okay. two-two game. Okay, but whatever. That's the way it ends. Well, that's the way the ball rolls. Look, I mean, you want every you want every win you can or every draw you can get, every win you can get. You, you want the points. Right. I understand you want the points, right. but just let's 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 forget that for a second. Feel hard done by. That's fine, but for that, forget that for a second. That was that was an established, well-run, smart MLS team taking apart an expansion side. That's what we saw yesterday, Washington. So I think that, you know, I'm sure you recognize this. I wonder how many NYCFC fans are going to have the patience to recognize this is a work in progress. They got a long way to go. And it's not just Frank Lampard. It, it's some other things as well. 
I mean, that, that, that is still a makeshift back line. There's still, you know, questions over whether or not you can get via the type of service he needs. I mean, Frank Lampard will help, but there's a, there's a long way to go. You're right. I get you. It's, it's a first step. It's a first step. No one's been crowned king of New York, you know, because it is a first step. It's a first step in a very long derby because I see this going for years and years, for decades, if not, you know, century or whatever. Yeah. Right, it's man. the first step. They got this one. We'll get the next one. Go, go, rest, go rest that voice, Washington. Appreciate the phone call. Washington from New York calling in despite the fact he's playing hurt. And you should be playing hurt. If you're a Red Bull fan or an NYCFC fan, you should be playing hurt today. Your voice should be gone. Well, depending on how you use your voice. I always found this, that when, when I watch sporting events, and I'm, and I'm definitely a yeller, like, I, like everybody's got their own style when they watch these watch games. I am a screamer. I yell. That's what I do. I clap a lot, and I yell a lot. And what I found is I clearly don't know how to use my voice properly at that volume. I can use it properly here. My voice hangs on here. Hot tea and lemon. I'm going to do that. But I tend to yell from the larynx instead of the, <clears throat> well, my voice going out. Perfect timing. I tend to yell from the wrong place. And then my voice is gone. And then I wake up the next day and I can't talk. Bill in Brooklyn, what's up? Good to meet you too, bye. Hey, yeah, yeah, <laughs> indeed, man. It was, it was a lot of fun on Friday. Hey, um, I wanted to talk. Uh, I was at the game uh, about, I'd say, 97% full. Right. Uh, a couple of late arrivals because <laughs> New York, New Jersey traffic. That's just the way uh, it goes. But it was uh, about as full as I've seen it for a, a regular season game there. Okay, fair enough. And it, it sounded like it. Sounded fantastic, Bill. Indeed, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about Jesse Marsh. Uh, you know, I was, you know, one of uh, the one of many Red Bull fans that was really upset about uh, what happened to Mike Pecky, and uh, I've uh, I've had to you know, had to eat my hat with yeah. uh, a lot of the comments I've made there because seeing what uh, the belief in that team for the last about fifteen minutes of that game, especially after uh, City got the first goal back there. At times where they could have just gone into the corner and uh, and just tried to waste you know ten fifteen seconds here and there, they were still uh, they were still driving on that trying to trying to get a third goal trying to make chances and just the the amount of belief that was in that side. Uh, I mean that's all Jesse uh, just you know pushing them to 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 never stop being that that high energy force and for long stretches of the second half um, you know especially after the Wright Phillips goal. You could not tell that uh, this was eleven on ten. I mean, it looked like it was yeah. it was an even strength game, and yeah. uh, you know I think that's a sign of just how good this uh, this Red Bulls team is. Which, again, I don't think a lot of us uh, expected to see. Uh, and uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I give all credit to Jesse. He's uh, he's done it. Yeah, you know, the, there is you know you, you obviously brought in some some new signings. Thanks uh, for thanks for the call bill. I, I got to move on, but you bring in some new signings that that changes the dynamic a little bit. But this is a team that knows how to play together. They've got a core there. Dax McCarty is really really good. You got <clears throat> Lloyd Sam, you're carrying him over. Obviously Bradley Wright Phillips. Even when you throw in Sasha Kleshin, who's a very smart soccer player. And I love the I love the narrative that happened on on Sunday night. Uh, Sasha Kleschen greater than mixed disc root. Okay. I, I don't know that we have to compare those two players, but on, certainly on that day, they are, and you might have an argument that overall they are, uh, that, that Sasha Kleschen is better than mixed disc root. But if nothing else, Sasha Kleschen fits in that team where mixed disc root is playing in a side that's essentially thrown together four months ago and has to figure it out. Eddie in Brooklyn, how many bones you got to pick today? 
None, no. Well, I mean, I could I could pick one by saying that moving by nine o'clock really makes this show impossible <laughs> to deal with hangovers. Oh, well, I mean, um, you know, maybe well, not. not maybe don't drink so much. Maybe not drink so much, man. I know you're celebrating, but come on. Oh, come on, man! You're gonna tell me not to drink so much. Ah, I know, I know, I know. All right, so what was? Give me your thoughts, man. What? What? Did you make it out? Um, no, I, I, I had to work the game, so I, I couldn't go. But um, you know, my son went with uh with the wife and shouts to the city fans for, you know, cursing all around him. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, I wanted to talk about David Villa because, you know, I, like I said, I was working the game and I, I was doing city. So I was able to really focus on them. And at one point I actually really felt bad for the dude because you can see it. I think around maybe the 25th minute, 26th minute where you can actually see it in his eyes when he tracked all the way back to about the 18-yard box to lay off a header to win the ball back. And he's basically saying, I used to play with Xavi and Iniesta, and this is what I'm subjected to right now. Like, well, he looks I mean, so frustrated. Okay. I, he I, was forcing. He, it, was, it came to a point where he was honestly, he was forcing so much because he kind of had to because there was really not much going on. But you could actually see him doing more than he was supposed to. And I actually think that he's really frustrated. I don't know if you saw it. I saw it. No, no, I, I, I totally believe it. I mean, he was frustrated with, with the way things were going. He was frustrated to come off. At the same time, I believe David Villa is a, a, a pro. I mean, I, I believe he's going to put forth as much effort as he can every single time out. And, and remember, he's coming off of a little bit of a chronic injury. So I, I think that it's, it's one of these things where, okay, so Robbie Keane complains a lot, and everybody comes down on him and calls him a baby and a whiner. And at the same time, what that indicates is that Robbie Keane cares. He may not... He may not be happy with the way his team is playing around him, but I think competitors are like that, right? I mean, when when you've got a guy who is used to winning, it would be easy to paint him as some kind of jerk about it. And that you know, I'm not saying you're doing that, but I'm just saying it, it would be easy to do that. Whereas the other side of it is David Villa wants to go out there and win, but he should have known what he was getting himself into, Eddie. I mean, he, he, you got to be a, you got to appreciate the circumstance of this. And again, until Lampard arrives, there's nobody on that field. And I'm including Mix Discarude, who has the thought that who can think at the speed of soccer the way that David Villa does. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say that he's going to default the situation. I, I don't think it's that at all. I, I, I genuinely think he really cares. I'm just saying, like, he basically he started as a forward, but he's basically a left midfielder yeah. for the majority of that first half, the way he was tracking back, yeah. trying to win the ball back. I mean, he was deep, deep into his defensive half, trying to, trying to get possession of the ball. And there were so many instances where NYCFC will get a ball recovery, and after about the second or the third pass, under no pressure, they would just give the ball back right back to the Red Bulls. It was just, yeah. there's no continuity. There's absolutely no idea for possession. And I kind of felt bad for Villa. And I, 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 as, a, as a Red Bull fan, I was enjoying it. But, I, you know, the guy's a class act. He's a world-class player. He's one of the best strikers of my generation. But to see him subjected to that, I, I started to feel bad for him. Yeah. Later on into the first half, so I mean, I don't know if you thought was the only one. I'm going to move on in a second here, uh, Eddie. But while I got you on the line, I, this is just something I find interesting. So I'm seeing a bunch of DC United fans on Twitter talk about how they are happy to see NYCFC get beat, and that yeah, it's you know it's hard because it's the Red Bulls. I don't understand that at all. If if you're a, if you were a DC United fan, I mean, if you were on the other side of this, would you be? And obviously, it's a different dynamic because NYCFC is sharing your town now. 
But would you want DC United to win a game ever? Like, I don't understand that logic. Hell no. No, that's weird. No, people need to stop this. Number one, City fans, that was cute. I appreciate you trying. That was really adorable. But you're not a rival yet. DC United is the rival. Everybody knows this. So DC United fans, if you are actually rooting for us, you need to look yourself in the mirror because that is not <laughs> right. correct. If, if that no, is not if, how we're supposed to go. If nothing, el- if for nothing else, NYCFC is no threat to you right now, DC United. They're no threat to you. They're nowhere close None. to you in the standings. They're not going to be close to you in the standings. Meanwhile, yeah, you might you might have a shot at first place, but you know who's going to be right there with you based on everything I've seen this season? Probably the New York Red Bulls because they got the talent yeah. to do it. And and ah, yeah, I'm with you on that one, Eddie. I appreciate the call, man. Right, yeah, there goes uh, Eddie in Brooklyn. Good stuff from him. Let's uh, let's turn to Robert in L.A. We'll do these in orders. What, what's up, Robert? Hey, good morning, Jason. Good morning. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about uh, this past, this weekend's uh, EPL results, and it's pretty much uh, all the results went one way. So, it's like, you know, the top four is pretty much all but decided, and, like, the rele- relegated teams. It just makes it very, um, uh, you know, the, the final weekend usually is supposed to be exciting. And it just seems a little like we all know what's going to happen. But what I want to talk to you about with, uh, with the top four pretty much going back to the way it has been for a couple of years yeah. and with all this TV money, do you think it's going to be harder for like, you know, like the Liverpools or Tottenham's to even crack that top four now? Because yes. they're all, you know, United, City, Chelsea, and Arsenal, they're all going to build up with all this new money coming in. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think United has navigated their post Alex Ferguson swoon. I think City's always going to have the money to compete at that top level in the Premier League. They may still have trouble in the Champions League, but they're always going to be able to compete for titles. Chelsea is Chelsea. As long as Mourinho sticks around, they're going to be challenging for that. And Arsenal is, you know, they may underwhelm their fans a bit every every year if they don't go and win a title or get, you know, get deep into the Champions League. But they're still Arsenal. I, I think I'm with you. I think this is going to just stratify the Premier League again, which is not good. That's not what you want. The, the lower, the, the middle, the middle, uh, the pack teams will have more money. The teams that come up will have more money that will make them more stable, maybe. But then again, you have to argue, well, even if they have more money, if the market continues going in the direction it is and these teams decide, oh, well, we got more money, we can go spend more money. It negates that. It, it negates the benefit, right? So. Uh, yeah, I, I think we could be seeing a sort of reestablishment of the big four. Only you swap out Liverpool as in their previous incarnation with City, and that's it. It's going to be those four teams. Yeah, I was um, uh, pretty much seeing that too, and I was really disappointed. I was really hoping United would have just not gone in because it's just, I don't know, I just don't like them. But also, have you heard about this uh, fair play of Europa League? You know, like West Ham and even Burnley can somehow make it through like Fair play yeah. going to the Europa League. Yeah, it's, it's happened before. Did you uh, t- okay? Were you, uh, you were talking with your guest about the EPL and championship results. Have, have, did you go with him about it? Did, I'm sorry, say that again. Did you um, uh, cover that with your uh, uh, with your no. guest earlier no. about the EPL no. results? Uh, we we talked. We did not talk fair play. We did not talk Europa League. No, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Um, but but okay, here, but Robert, just all right. Just a bit of knowledge here. Thanks for the call. But just a bit of knowledge here. I believe that the year, the year that Fulham made the Europa League final, they had entered that competition on fair play the year before from the year before. I believe that's right. Jared and Providence, what's up? Uh, Jerry. <laughs> ah, see, look, bad timing. What's going on, Jerry? <laughs> that's okay. Hey, um, yeah, I just want to actually want to veer back to the. Uh, 
you know, the Hudson River Derby or whatever okay, we're calling sure, it now. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's as a neutral, it came through. It came through really well on television. Um, my only thing about it was um, I wish it, I, I kind of wish it didn't segregate the, well, I'm glad that it did segregate the New York City FC fans, um, but I wish there, you could, they were visible on the broadcast. You know how they were in like the second uh, tier? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's just that I felt like um, if, if they were like more visible, like they were on the, like the, you know, the lower bowl, I felt it would have brought a lot more to the atmosphere on the television, but you know, it was still great anyway, yeah. but uh, well, you know, I, mean, I think it would have brought a little bit more. Yeah. You're nitpicking a little bit, but this is, that's, I mean, that was yeah. standard, that's standard procedure. I mean, you're not going to give yeah. the visiting fans, the cherry spots in the stadium. You're going to alienate your actual yeah. fans if you do that. And I, I would argue that it's up to, it's up to Fox and the broadcast people, the director of the broadcast to give some sense of, where the NYCFC fans are and how much they're adding to the atmosphere. I don't know how you do that necessarily because I don't, I never yeah. a television show, but I think that that's, <laughs> that's what you're looking at there. You, hey, you know yeah. what? Uh, as you said, the atmosphere was fantastic. It was, but you see it a lot in, you know, I don't want to compare it to Premier League games, but you do see that, like, they're not always, uh, depending on what stadium they're in, they're not always on, like, the top deck, you know, you do kind of, you can kind of see the interaction between the players and the, you know, the, yeah. Well, you, the yeah, right. you, support, you, you know? have the, the, you have the traveling supporters on one end and you have the home support on the other. Yeah. I, I see what exactly. you're I see what you're saying. I just don't know that the Red Bull arena. And again, this is, this is a stadium that we don't get to see that full that often. I think that you have to give, uh, yeah, you have to give first crack to those people who, who buy tickets through the team. So I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. It was great. I thought I thought it was a great match. And I, I actually look forward to seeing the next one, even though I hope they both lose somehow. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Appreciate the call. You got anything else, Jerry? No, that's All it. Right, appreciate you. it, man. Yeah, I, look, um, you know, it was it was obviously wasn't the only game of the weekend, and I want to make it seem like it was the only game of the weekend, but it was on national television. It was a great ab- advertisement for not just MLS, but for the sport in this country. I think there was uh, there were a lot of things to take away that were positive, even if you're an NYCFC fan. Because, again, so many of the questions going into the match was, hey, is it a rivalry? Should we consider it a rivalry? Is it, what should we call it? Is there going to be any sort of actual passion and heat? And a couple moments we got that. Matt Miazga got himself thrown out for a second yellow. There was some, there was some you know, going at it a little bit. Clearly the players took it to heart that this was a battle for New York on some level. I mean, I don't know that anybody's changing their allegiance based on who won that game. I would, who's that guy sitting there at his house going, I, I'm not going to pick a New York team until I see who wins. I, I don't know. Mark, Mark Fishkin. Hold on. Let me try. Let me click that again. Let's go to Mark Fishkin from seeing red. Mark, do you think there are people out there who are deciding their allegiance based on that game? Uh, I would sure hope not, but, um, you know, I would just hope that, uh, that a lot of the Red Bull fans that maybe have not, uh, participated in the stadium up until perhaps last night's game, um, will look at a result and look at the fight that the Red Bulls showed throughout that game and playing all to the final whistle and decide that maybe they should show up a little more often. So, yeah. Uh, it was a fantastic night for MLS, really. It was a great advertisement for the league as much as it was uh, a meaningful win for the home team. Yeah, and I know you were in the building. What I took away from, we are talking about the television broadcast, Mark, I thought it came across 
amazingly well. It was incredibly loud. The, the Red Bull support was vocal and in sync and singing and making it clear. This is our house. Don't You're not going to come in here and, uh, and, and beat us. And the Red Bulls on the field put in a great performance. Um, and I thought it was interesting, too. Let me just to, to get some of the actual gameplay, Mark. Yeah. There's a little bit of talk that the sideline reporter, and her name escapes me, did address um, you know, when Miazga goes out, uh, when he's red carded, um, Jesse Marsh adjusting how the Red Bulls play and maybe not, maybe that pressure that, that that team has been known for this season, rather than high up the field into the opposing half, let's drop back into midfield, but we're still going to apply pressure. I, I'm impressed with Jesse Marsh so far. It, it's hard not to be impressed with Jesse Marsh. You know, he came in under challenging circumstances, at least in terms of the, the fan reaction to him. And he's been masterful. I mean, um, it was really interesting. Mike Grella went to, to took on Twitter uh, soon after the, the match, and he talked about how frustrated he was for not being able to play more. Obviously, it had nothing to do with his play. It was a tactical switch to pull, pull you know, take him off the field for we met. But yeah, no, this this team pressed, and um, it's it's hard after the Pecky years, which was very straight up. You know, blocks of four and not always the prettiest soccer. I mean, this is free-flowing, great passing. And if Bradley can put the ball in the net as he did last night, I mean, the team's going to be dangerous. They've only lost once in nine outings this year, and they're undefeated at home. So um, it's a tough road for them now. They have trips to Dallas and Seattle in the next three weeks, Mm. and then maybe a gimme against Philly. So, you know, we talk about... You know, the Red Bull fans all talk about you know tests and meaningful matches, and this was clearly uh, for uh, an MLS match in May as meaningful as it gets. And they're going to really have to reset now and go on the road Friday at a very very tough team to beat, and then turn around and go all the way up to Seattle. But uh, Red Bull fans should be euphoric today. Um, I've already chided a Man City Light fan on the streets of Manhattan this morning on my walk to work, gave him the, the full Nelson months, and um, <laughs> and this is what Don G wanted, right? Yeah. It was a, a real sure. intercity rivalry. Yeah, and he... I'm just glad that so many Man City Light fans were able to find the stadium <laughs> after being unable to do so for most of the last 20 years. I, I love your digs. Uh, Don Garber has to be happy. I know Jurgen Klinsmann was in the was in the stadium. Benito Floro in the stadium for for whatever reason. Uh, hmm. Let me ask you, um, Mark, before I let you go. I don't know you're a very yep. busy man. Bradley Wright Phillips scores. The, Bradley Wright Phillips scores the goals. Uh, Sasha Kleshton was really good. He had uh, he had uh, um, you know strong defensive performances. I thought Kamar Lawrence was was pretty fantastic. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah, but beyond the obvious candidates, I mean, who did you see? Lloyd Sam. I, I guess really, there's nobody to pick out. I'm saying, who's the under the radar guy that you thought played well and and contributed to this win? But I'm not. Maybe there's no, there's nobody under the radar in this game. Well, I mean, Chris Duval, who's the starting right back, he's in the second year draft pick from last year out of Wake Forest, um, is <clears throat> continues uh, to need to work on his offensive game. Right in the high press. There were plenty of times where he was further down the field than Lloyd Sam. He's he's contributing. He's obviously not a scorer, and he's not a stellar distributor, but played very well defensively. 
And, you know, he's a, he's a project that's coming along. Obviously a shame for Miazga to go out so early because he has been fantastic this season. And if you listen to Todd Ramos talk, I mean, he really played his way into a starting role with the U-20s. He's obviously not going to play in Dallas next week, but he's been a little bit of a revelation and still 19 years old. So as as fans of this team and fans of your show and fans of MLS know, uh, we, you know, we don't crown champions uh, this early, but again, um, you know, the players on the field have come together. They are all in. And uh, there was a great clip of Bradley this morning that the team posted just saying they are, they are truly playing for each other and playing as a team. And uh, the fans should be overjoyed and more fans should be coming out to watch this team play. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, just a, 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 a point of detail here. Miazga was going to join the U-20s anyway, correct? Oh yeah. Okay. So, yes, so the red true, card, he, but he didn't. He didn't start every game in the qualifying tournament, and there were times in the qualifying tournament that he looked, you know, okay. Well, no, and there were times with the Red Bulls, especially last year, that he looked okay. Well, what I mean but is, he is he's a starter. Yeah. Right. What I mean is that red card for that that would keep him out from playing against Dallas almost doesn't matter because he was going to miss that game with the U twenties anyway, right? Is that right? For 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 sure. Okay. For sure. I, I, I believe I'm unsure if he was going to play that game or not. Right. But he's okay. obviously on his way to. Obviously, uh, now he is game. certainly. Uh, Mark Fishkin from Seeing Red on Backheel.com. Make sure you check that out. I imagine the next episode will be a lot of fun. Uh, Mark, appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much. Right. Uh, let's go to John in uh, in Dallas. We'll close out this episode talking a little bit about FC Dallas. Uh, certainly deserves some love. Two one winners over LA. Fabian Castillo. Very, very good. Blas Perez again. Moro Diaz looking like old Moro Diaz. John, how are you? Not bad, Jason. How are you? I'm good. I imagine you're good if you're if if you're an FC Dallas fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first 75 minutes or so were, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, nerve wracking to say the least. But it, it, you know, the three points obviously helped that out quite a bit. But um, I, I guess what I wanted to talk to you about for a second is. You know, Fabian Castillo in particular has turned into a really nice player over the years, and um, I know he spent has spent some time at the, the youth level with the Colombian national team. I, although I haven't, and I know he hasn't made a senior team debut, I, I don't know that I've necessarily seen a lot of chatter about him doing that anytime soon. But I just wanted to, you know, with Copa America coming up, Colombia hasn't announced their roster yet. I don't, I, I, don't, I really don't know if he's on their radar. But I kind of wanted to see if you. Had a little more insight into that. I know you got the Ravel TV thing coming up with yeah. FC Dallas. I, I, I don't. I don't know if you've been doing some I, research into it a little bit, but yeah, I don't have any particular insight into what's going on with Colombia. Um, I know Peckerman has been pretty consistent in not giving a lot of love to MLS players in the past. Uh, this is part of the reason Freddie Montero was pushing his way out of MLS when he did. Went back down to Colombia before moving on to Portugal. I I would love. I mean, I think that Fabian Castillo is good enough to make some sort of impact. I mean, he might not. He's not going to be a starter, but you could certainly argue that he would be a nice option to have off the bench for Colombia. I just don't think it's going to happen because Peckerman's given us no reason to think it will. John. Yeah. No. And I I think you're probably right. Unfortunately, there. I just yeah. Like you said, I I don't see him in a starting eleven. I don't think anyone would. You know, and it may just be that talent pool just may be so deep that uh, you know. He would never see the field. He may never see the field, but to, to you know, uh, does he deserve to at least be on the squad? Uh, I think maybe he does, but maybe you know, yeah. again, maybe, uh, maybe there's a thing with MLS. But sure. Uh, so uh, you know, so uh, 
I guess I also wanted to go back to MLS. Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on whether, you know, if, if he can uh, really have a nice season that he has a legitimate shot at the MLS MVP. This season. Oh, absolutely. He's I, he's one of my front runners right now. I think Fabian Castillo has taken the leap. I mean, if we're going to talk about players who have gone from look at all that ability, look at all that talent, look at all that potential to every single week he's going to impact the game he's playing in. Every single week he's got a chance to score goals, set up goals, be a danger. Even when Fabian Castillo, it's for me, it's more about his movement than anything else. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about those breakaways. We know he's incredibly fast. We know he can, you know, he can score goals on a counterattack. It's more of how he's working within a system that allows him to be dangerous and, and, and pull defenders and be uh, be a force that other teams have to reckon with. And then that allows things like Moro Diaz chipping over the top to Blas Perez. I mean, that's, that's brilliant stuff that FC Dallas is doing right now, John. Sure. No, I, no I'm with you. All right, so I guess the last point I'll kind of tie this into is um, the last couple of years we've seen FC Dallas come out of the gates, you know, like gangbusters and, and then they start to fall off. Um, and, you know, last year, kind of barely making the playoffs. I think two years ago, actually missed the playoffs uh, after being first early in, or at the top of the table early in the season. Do you, you know, with respect to his ML, or his MVP chances, do you think if, if well, two things. If, if they do this again this season, does that hurt his chances, even if he has a great year? In other words, if they maybe even miss the playoffs, if they do what they've done the last two seasons. Uh, and then the other part of it is, do you think, this team is built to avoid that this season or, or is there, are they in danger of seeing a similar thing when we start getting into the hotter months of the summer? And uh, start they, to decline? they certainly could have a fallow period. They could have a swoon. They could have a dip. Uh, they think, look, it's going to get hot in Frisco. It's going to be travel and, and injuries and fatigue. They could have one of those. I think, in fact, I'll guarantee they make the playoffs, John. There's, I don't think there's any chance at all. FC Dallas misses the playoffs in 2015. Um, and I think they're, I think they are built to navigate, even if they have a four game streak where nothing goes right and they lose, they are built to be okay coming out of that. And I, and I imagine that even if the summer doesn't go well for them, the, as we hit the fall, as we approach the latter stages of the season, they'll be close. They'll be in, in touching distance with some of the leaders in the West. So I don't know, six, seven, nine points back, and they'll be able to put together a run that will keep them in the conversation for one of the top seeds in the West. I, I think they're that good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, and I guess I, I, will, I will say the one thing about Castillo not getting attention from Colombia is that at least we won't lose him this summer. I, you know, Perez, of course, uh, will be gone for the early first part of the summer for the Gold Cup. Right. But, uh, but we'll have Castillo. And yeah, you're, look, you're not going to lose like more. You're not going to lose Moro Diaz. You're not going to lose Fabian Castillo more than likely. You're probably not even going to lose um, Matt Hedges, which is, uh, you know, that hurts me a little bit. But I don't see, I, I don't know that, that Klinsman likes him enough to call him up for this Gold Cup. So I think that this, you know, a lot of, of the teams that are going to lose players, maybe FC Dallas is in a, in a better position. Maybe Akindele goes for Canada, but I don't know what that where that sits right now. So there's there's some question. Yeah, sure. That's a, it's interesting too. So you think Hedges even okay, fine. Maybe he's not a starter in the back four, but you don't think he's even on the twenty three. Maybe, ma- maybe I just don't know for sure. I think there's a, a you know I, I would put yeah. it at fifty fifty right now. John, I gotta I gotta get moving, but I appreciate the phone call. I, I like Matt Hedges a lot. I don't know why Klinsman doesn't seem to rate him nearly as high. Uh, well, I do because he's Jurgen Klinsman, and that's fine. He's got his he's got his his players he likes. He's got a system he wants to run. We're gonna get to some Jurgen Klinsman quotes. 
over at the Sirius XMFC show in just a little bit. He gave a, an interview to FIFA. And you'll tell me how many times you're just incredulous at the words that he says. All right, that's going to do it for us on a Monday here on, on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Uh, make sure you go to Backheel.com slash store to buy a, a mug because the mugs are pretty. Uh, T-shirts over at 3nilfc.com. Dan is doing fantastic work. Again, thanks to everybody who came out on Friday night for the uh, the launch party at uh, the Football Factory. Had a great time. I didn't have as great a time as Trevor did, but I had a great time. Nice meeting all of you, shaking your hand, talking some soccer. It was a good, to- good time. And we also had um, the guys from the Seeing Red, uh, uh, sorry, seeing not Seeing Red, Straight Red podcast at Backheel.com out. Those guys are great. Go check them out as well. All right. Blue City Radio. Yep. In Manchester City uh, podcast, Blue City Radio was there as well. Got a good representation. All right. That's going to do it. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to get something to drink. Uh, and I'll see you over on Sirius XM FC 94 at 11 o'clock. All right, guys. Later. Later.